This week on Geek Explained, while August belonged to DC Comics, now that we're in September, it's Marvel's turn. And with Marvel's Avengers releasing this Friday, we're counting down my top 10 Marvel games of all time. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Marvel games. Marvel Comics has been producing games for decades at this point, and this Friday, as of this recording, they're looking to launch one of their biggest games of all time, Marvel's Avengers, across, uh, I think, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Stadia, PC. This is supposed to be a huge deal for Marvel, and it's sorely needed, I think. We've been kind of waiting for a really great Marvel game, and though the beta has had its challenges, and we covered that uh, in an earlier episode of the podcast, I'm still really excited about it. And it got me thinking about what my top 10 Marvel games of all time could possibly be. So that is what we're going to be talking about in this week's episode. We also have our final wildcard weekly review before we jump into season two of The Boys, and of course, this week's comics countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so we got some news for you this week. Our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. There's no TV news this week, but there are there is news in all of the uh, other three categories, so let's go ahead and jump into it. First off, starting off with film news, uh, New Mutants has finally hit theaters after three years in uh, limbo. It's finally here in the midst of a pandemic. Um, I have seen some people... People uh, checking it out at uh, drive-in movie theaters, which I think is awesome. I think one thing that's been uh, great about this pandemic is that it's starting to slowly bring back the advent of drive-in movie theaters, which I love dearly. So um, great on everybody who's been seeing it safely. Um, I can't, in good conscience, recommend you go see it in a in a regular movie theater just because it's not it's not safe like I'm not going to be seeing it I'll be waiting until either I can see it at a drive-in movie theater or I can stream it because I just it's ah, it's it's too complicated it's not safe enough and I just don't think you should be um, risking your health to go see a movie uh, especially not New Mutants, <laughs> because the reviews are in and people are saying it is not great. Um, one uh, review on Twitter I saw called it the worst X-Men movie of all time, though in good spirits, Maisie Williams, who does play Wolfsbane in the movie, uh, retweeted that and said, sounds like a good time, go see the movie. <laughs> So um, I don't think anyone had a whole lot of um, high expectations for New Mutants, but I mean, it is 
good to finally get this thing out there. Um, there's also been some controversy with it, the fact that the actual creator of the team um, had his name misspelled in the credits, and that they have sort of whitewashed a bunch of the characters. So, um, again, we I didn't really have high expectations of this movie. I'm glad it's out there so that people can finally see it. We can kind of get that monkey off our back and move on. Um, kind of in the same way that I'm glad that we're getting the Snyder Cut. So, either way, um, don't go see it in theaters. If you can see it safely at, like, a drive-in, Go do that or wait for it to come out on streaming like I'm going to. Uh, jumping into comics news, I'm pretty excited about these. Uh, Joshua Williamson, the current writer of The Flash, who is in the twilight of his Flash run with Finish Line, has been teasing some stuff. Um, basically been teasing uh, some Wally West-related stuff. So you know that just sent off the, the warning klaxon in my head. I had to just devour everything that he was putting out. And on Twitter, he was uploading a bunch of different images featuring Wally West from uh, more recent stuff to all the way back in 2016, which feels like 20 years ago. Um, uh, him, you know, showing back up, his return and rebirth. So I'm assuming that it's going to be part of Speed Metal because he is helming that uh, with artist uh, Eddie Barrows, which I'm really excited about. But strangely enough... Um, the art that he was featuring didn't look like Eddie Barrow's art, so maybe this is a sign of things to come. We do know that uh, Williamson is going to be leaving the main Flash book following the conclusion of Finish Line, but I wouldn't mind him writing a Flash family book that involves uh, Wally, Jay, and Bart, so fingers crossed. Um, there's also been a first look released for Shang-Chi. Uh, we all know that Shang-Chi is a movie that is currently in development with Marvel. And, of course, like any Marvel movie, it's also ha it also has to have either an ongoing run announcement or a mini. And a miniseries has been uh, greenlit and announced, and we got our first look for Shang-Chi. I'm really excited about this creative team. Uh, it's being written by Jin Lun Yang with art by Philip Tan and uh, DK Ruan. I'm really excited that all of those names are Asian names and that all of those creators are prominent Asian creators. Um, I'm not super familiar with DK Ruan, but just looking at some of his, um, some of his art, online i'm just blown away by it so i'm really excited about this mini um apparently it's supposed to deal with the fact that uh shang chi's father who did run essentially the uh chinese mystical underworld has somehow passed away and now all of his responsibilities are going to be put onto shang chi's shoulders so uh look for this at the end of september the end of this month and uh keep an eye out i'm really excited for this um one of the great things about finally getting an Asian Marvel movie is that we're going to get to see more Asian Marvel comics. So I'm really excited about that. And then moving our way into miscellaneous news. I think the big news, um, the big news for this week is that uh, Chadwick Boseman, um, who has just been an incredible actor, an incredible representative for uh, Marvel as a whole, uh, sadly passed away this past Friday at the age of 43 due to uh, stage 4 colon cancer. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, who most people know as the Black Panther, their definitive Black Panther, um, 
was apparently diagnosed in 2016 with stage 3 and never publicly commented on it. Most of the world didn't even know he was sick. Uh, there have been, you know, appearances he'd made, videos and uh, photographs of him in the last year or so that showed him extremely skinny, like really sickly. And um, now we kind of know why. And it's really unfortunate because um, 43 is too young. And cancer is a terrible thing that um, really isn't uh, anything that we can fight, unfortunately. There's no um, big cancer villain that a superhero can go punch. And the fact that Chadwick Boseman was... Um, doing some of the was basically at the height of his career from 2016 to now um, while battling colon cancer the entire time is a testament to how strong he was both in uh, in body and spirit and his passing hit a lot of people hard myself included Um, this was something that again no one was really expecting um except for probably the people who were closest to him, and it hit the world pretty hard. This year's already been terrible, and this really just kind of sent it over the edge. Um, I haven't seen or felt a reaction to a celebrity death like this for a really long time. And someone I saw on Twitter um, put it into to perspective for me that I just, it really clicked with me because it hit me hard. Don't get me wrong, I was just, I was inconsolable for a little while, Um, and it's still, you know, my heart's still heavy today, but um, someone kind of uh, said to me, you know, this is like when uh, Christopher Reeve passed for a lot of people, because for his generation, that was Superman. He was the icon for so many comics fans, so many um, nerds, so many geeks, and for this generation, Chadwick Boseman was Black Panther. The film Black Panther was such a touchstone moment for the black community, for just representation not only in Marvel, but in mainstream comics and mainstream media. And um, uh, basically, the gist of what they were telling me is that this is like, you know, this is like Black Superman dying. And I just, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's a terrible thing. And he is going to be remembered not just for his roles, um, Black Panther, 42, uh, Get On Up, Thurgood Marshall. Like, these are incredible roles. And he was a brilliant actor, but he was an even better person. Um, He talked about in multiple interviews about his, uh, just about his interactions with kids and patients of cancer and to kind of go back and uh, retroactively watch those interviews where he's talking about meeting with um, terminally ill cancer patients while at that same time he was fighting that as well it's um, it's heartbreaking Uh, Marvel and ABC did a tribute to Chadwick Boseman this past Saturday where they aired uh, Black Panther completely commercial-free, which I think was cool, but also featured uh, tributes to him in the form of interviews, in the form of uh, vignettes. There is a, I think it's like a four-minute tribute to him on Marvel's Twitter and Black Panther's Twitter that uh, brought me to tears. It was... um, 
it's a loss that is going to be felt for a really long time. He is not just going to be missed as an icon, as a celebrity, as a you know comic book character. He's going to be missed as a person and as a leader. He's someone who carried himself like a king on and off the screen. And um, uh, gosh, <laughs> um, it's it's a tough loss. It's a terrible loss. And um, my. And I, I hate using this term, but it's like it's it's something that is like you hear it so often now that it, it feels like it loses its meaning. But um, my thoughts and honestly, my prayers are with Chadwick Boseman's family, his loved ones, because they are. I can't imagine the pain that they're going through right now. It's a terrible pain. And I hope that um, that Chad. Chadwick Boseman's legacy is carried on for a very long time, and I believe it will. So um, that is, oh man, we got a uh, we got real heavy at the beginning of this episode. Um, but it's you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it because he changed the game. He really did. Um, to I guess uh, ch- shift gears here. Um, the last piece of news, which feels really weird. I don't know why I did it in this order. Um, but the last piece of miscellaneous news uh, also involves Marvel. Um, God, this feels so weird um, going through this, talking about Chadwick Boseman passing, and then, oh, man. Sorry. Um, anyway, uh Marvel has um, announced that they are doing a crossover with Fortnite, which is something that I, I mean, we've talked about before. Um, and it's like, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm trying to like shift gears here, but it's like, it's, it's hard. Um, Ah, basically, um, I apologize. Um, but basically, um, Marvel is doing this big crossover with Fortnite. They have like some big event where Thor calls um, several heroes from the Marvel Universe into the Fortnite world to combat Galactus. And apparently this is canon to Marvel now. Um, there are going to be comics that are coming out that address this. Uh, which I just find weird. Uh, the costumes look great. The character models look fantastic. Um, there have been a lot of comparisons and um, a lot of jokes being made at the expense of Marvel's Avengers that, you know, they put the main cast of Marvel's Avengers in a picture next to the Marvel characters that are showing up in Fortnite. And I saw one that was like, um, uh, no cheating, pick the one that's a free-to-play game. And it's it's kind of sad, but... Um, but I think it's pretty cool. I'm not a Fortnite guy. I've never been a Fortnite guy. I probably, this isn't going to make me a Fortnite guy. But I might check out, you know, like gameplay just to see what's going on. They they nearly got me when they announced Captain America for Fortnite. So I, um, I'm i interested. I'll be, I'll be checking it out on like YouTube and watching gameplay and stuff of that. So um, that is it for the news. And speaking of Marvel games, we are going to roll right on into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is counting down my top 10 Marvel games.
for as long as I've been a Marvel Comics fan, there have always been Marvel Comics games. Um, as we've seen the years go by and the advent of new consoles, the console wars, um, the development of video games into an art form and a narrative, um, Marvel has kind of always been there, working silently and diligently in the background, producing games for every single generation of consoles. And something that I can remember pretty distinctly all the way back through through to my like earliest memories of being a comic book fan is uh, playing Marvel video games. And this week, Marvel is releasing a big blockbuster video game, Marvel's Avengers, uh, coming out on current-gen consoles, and it is, t you know, Marvel's basically marketing this as like the big next step for Marvel video games. Uh, they have a long-term plan with New characters coming out. There's a whole narrative about reassembling the Avengers. There's going to be online play. And in all of the hype and excitement for this game, it got me thinking back through those memories of Marvel games that I've played in the past. And so this week, we're going to be compiling my top 10 Marvel games of all time. This is going to be going across many different consoles. Um, I'll be talking about each and every one of them. Um, there are some games that I think will surprise some people that are on my list. Uh, I think there will be some games that will surprise people that are not on my list. Um, I want to just put it out there real quick. I don't want to make this a whole thing, but I know that people are going to ask me about it. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is not on my list. Um, Spider-Man 2 is a good web-swinging game, um, but it's not a game that I distinctly remember having really good memories of. It's not a game that I really look at as like a top 10 Marvel game for me. Um, and I also want to preface this with this is just my personal list. My list is subjective. And if your list differs from mine, please feel free to let me know. Feel free to uh, email us at geeksplained at gmail.com. Uh, follow us. Give me your top 10 Marvel games. If you want to give me a top five or just tell me your favorite, you can tell me that on Twitter and Instagram to at uh, geeksplainedpod. Um, because I love talking about this. This... Um, Everybody's list is going to be a little different. Some will have uh, some crossover, but something that I think we can all agree on is that Marvel has put out some pretty great games. And hopefully, fingers crossed, Marvel's Avengers joins that pantheon. I know the beta has been, you know, hit or miss for some people. I enjoyed my time with it. I'm looking forward to the game when it releases, and I'm going to be sinking some serious time into it. But um, I don't want to talk about that just yet. I will be talking about it, don't get me wrong, and uh, we will be getting to that eventually on this podcast. But we're going to go ahead and jump right into the top 10 Marvel games, my top 10 Marvel games of all time, starting with number 10, which is X-Men. X-Men from 1992. This game was developed by Konami and was initially an arcade game, though it has been ported to various consoles since then. Uh, this game was based on the Pride of the X-Men pilot, aka the best X-Men cartoon of all time, Australian Wolverine Forever. Um, 
This game was a side-scrolling beat-em-up that puts you in the hands of several different X-Men. Uh, this game is a, a game that has garnered a cult following and is revered for how bad the voice acting is, but how fun the gameplay is. Um, you hear it all the time, you know, I am Magneto, Master of Magnet, and welcome to die. It's... I love how bad the voice acting is. As a voice actor, I love how bad the voice acting is with this. It's the same thing with, like, the first Resident Evil. Like, what a mansion. Like, just, it's it's so bad, it's good. Uh, but the gameplay is so fun. You just go through... Um, it's very Double Dragon style where it's just you take your merry band of mutants. I think it's up to four players and you just go ham on the streets. Um, there's different levels, different uh, enemies kind of running the gamut of all the uh, X-Men villains at that time. And it's a fun game that is just a great time with friends. This is something that if you get, you know, a few friends together, get some drinks going, you can have a really fun time with this. This was also so I mean it's it's bore, it was uh, it's basically again based on a uh, an X Men property that is near and dear to my heart and it was one of the first games that I was like yes I can play as Cyclops and I enjoy playing as Cyclops it's a fun game I really really love it and it's you know it's got that nostalgia pop for me which I absolutely adore so that is my number 10 at number nine we have spider-man shattered dimensions from 2010 this was developed by Beanox and was originally on the playstation 3 xbox 360 and pc and this is a game that i did not know a whole lot about but i distinctly remember in 2010 renting this from blockbuster i know i've dated myself but Shattered Dimensions was my favorite Spider-Man game for a little while because it not only brought on four different Spider-Man from across the multiverse. This is pre-Spider-Verse. Um, this brought together Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Man 2099, uh, our mainstream Spider-Man, as well as the ultimate Spider-Man. And what this game did really well and what this game... Um, did that I thought was incredibly smart was that not only was it uh, bringing together four Spider-Men, but it was bringing together and reuniting four Spider-Men with four Spider-Men voice actors. The main amazing Spider-Man was voiced by Neil Patrick Harris, who voiced Spider-Man in the new animated series back on uh, MTV. Uh, Spider-Man Noir was voiced by Christopher Daniel Barnes, many people's iconic Spider-Man voice from the Spider-Man uh, 90s animated TV show. Uh, Spider-Man 2099 was voiced by Dan Gilvezon, who played Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends back in the 80s. And the ultimate Spider-Man was voiced by our boy Josh Keaton, who of course voiced Spider-Man in Spectacular Spider-Man. And what I really like about this game specifically is just the amount of care that was put into each character feeling distinct. You know, Spider-Man 2099's gameplay is not the same as Spider-Man Noir's gameplay, which is not the same as Ultimate's or Amazing Spider-Man's gameplay. Uh, Sp Amazing Spider-Man's gameplay is probably, you know, it's pretty much your basic Spider-Man gameplay. It's your classic Spider-Man gameplay, um, utilizing... Uh, 
combat, use like utilizing uh, web throws, web swinging, all of the fun stuff that we kind of know with classic Spider-Man games. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man used the symbiote suit, so that was kind of your uh, first Uh, A lot of people's first big foray into playing as a symbiote Spider-Man before the likes. Did Web of Shadows come out before this? I don't remember. I don't... Maybe it did. Anyway, um, it also had kind of a Kratos God of War style like rage where... um, Ultimate Spider-Man would like go into this rage form where he wouldn't take... Or he wouldn't be staggered and his, you know... uh, his symbiote ten- tendrils would like just be whipping out. It was really visually fun. And it also features one of the best uh, levels in the entire game, which is the ultimate Deadpool level at the, um, oh, what's it called? The structure, the, the, uh, why am I, I'm blanking, I'm blanking on it. But um, it was a great, great time. And I remember having a lot of fun with Josh Keaton voicing that version of the character. Uh, Spider-Man 2099 was probably my least favorite. Um, it had a lot of like, um, it's not technically flying cause he's falling the whole time, but it's basically like an on rails flight thing for him since he's in the future and he's going through like flying cars and a floating city and all this stuff. It did have lip, it did have, like, limited um, combat, but it wasn't my favorite. Um, my favorite was Spider-Man, t- or Spider-Man Noir, which was a direct ripoff of the Batman Arkham games. <laughs> um, famously, Spider-Man uh, Noir does not have all of the same powers as your typical Spider-Man, so he has to make use of the uh, shadows and stealth takedown. So I really enjoyed that. All of the... All of the characters were really well done. The story was really cool, chasing this uh, pieces of this tablet that would unlock reality. And overall, this was kind of the stepping stone. You know, we had the first big uh, Spider-Man multiverse story in the actually in the '90s cartoon, and then we had this, and this was kind of the precursor to. Spider-Verse, which Dan Slott would end up helming, and I believe Dan Slott was uh, part of the development team for this game, at least when it came to writing. So, um, honestly, just a great time, a great Spidey game. It's sad that I haven't been able to play it since 2010, but I have fond memories of it, and it's a really great Spider-Man game. At number 8, we have Marvel Super Heroes from 1995. This was developed by Capcom and was originally an arcade game, which is how I played it, though it was also uh, ported to the Sega Saturn and PlayStation 1. Marvel Super Heroes has a place near and dear to my heart because this is the game that introduced me to Captain America. Um, I remember I went to a, uh, a daycare when I was very young. And we had this uh, field trip. I distinctly remember this. We had this field trip to a skating rink. Uh, way back when, when uh, roller skating rinks used to be all the rage. Um, I remember I didn't spend any time on this uh, roller skating rink because I was too busy with this arcade game that just featured all of these colorful characters. This was the precursor to the um, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, then Marvel vs. Street Fighter, then Marvel vs. Capcom series. This was kind of the the originator of this uh, of that whole series, and this was the 
game that introduced me to Captain America. I thought he looked cool. I thought he sounded cool. He threw his shield like a frisbee. And I had to put this on the list if for nothing else than introducing me to one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. Um, this game is very dated now. The controls are you know, what they are. But um, this was the game that introduced, you know, me to concepts like the Infinity Stones, which were still the Infinity Gems at this point that gifted you with little uh, buffs over the course of the battles. Um, This is where I kind of got my love for fighting games before I started playing stuff like Tekken or Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or any of those games. And it is a game that I have not played in years, but it is a game that I hold near and dear to my heart. So that is my number eight. At number seven is another game that is a little bit on the older side, but it's a game that's a little bit more current than... uh, 1995, which is X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse from 2005. Uh, This was developed by uh, Raven Software and Activision and was released on GameCube, PlayStation 2, PC, PSP, and Xbox. And this game really is the blueprint for the series that everyone knows about, a series that uh, might make an appearance here or there on the uh, the list later on. It's the most it's the Ultimate Alliance series. Uh, this game really was the uh, the blueprint for how that game and how that series of games came to be, where you took four characters, this time all X-Men characters, um, built them up RPG style, making them you know more powerful, uh, dealing with their stats, getting uh, unlockable skins and costumes, different uh, synergies between your characters, and having them roam through these gigantic maps uh, to bas- basically dungeon crawl. And I remember loving this game. I remember enjoying the first X-Men Legends. It was good, but this one really knocked it out of the park. This was the game that I was like, okay, I am keyed in for this. Um, this was the game that introduced me to a lot of like the deeper X-Men lore, which I... Uh, I was surprised about, and we don't get a whole lot these days, um, and I'll talk about this a little bit later down on the list too, but um, at, a, at one point in time, Marvel games used to be just these uh, playable, I think uh, Josh from Pan- Panels to Pixels put it best, he's like these playable encyclopedias for the Marvel Universe. Um It's just a love letter to the X-Men, to what they represent. Um, They did use, like, the ultimate X-Men costumes as the defaults, which is the only knock I can have for it, because those X-Men costumes are garbage. But uh, it was a really fun time, and I remember this being such a great game that I sunk hours and hours into. So that is why it is at number seven on my list. At number six... We have Ultimate Spider-Man, also from 2005. This was developed by Treyarch and Vicarious Visions and was released on the PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube, Game Boy Advanced, throwback, and the Nintendo DS. Uh, and what I love about this game, and this is this is going to find its place on many different uh, Marvel games lists, is that this game is pure comic book Spidey and Venom. And this was the first game to really put you into the shoes of 
Spider-Man, as well as Venom. This game draws upon the uh, Ultimate Venom storyline in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics by Bendis and Bagley. And one thing that was unique about this was that this was apparently supposed to be canon. Everything that happened in this game was supposed to be canon alongside the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, but there was some timing issues, there was some delays that happened, so I don't know if they actually, I would have to go back um, and reread it, but uh, I don't know if it was ever explicitly mentioned that the stuff that happened in this uh, happened in the comics, but they are loosely connected, we'll say. But this was a fun time. This was the first uh, big open-world Spidey game for the most part. Um, where I just had a fun time going from New York to Queens and just seeing the difference, um, and also getting to play as Venom, bringing in this Hulk-like character that would eat people. This was the game where I got to eat that kid with the balloons because I just cannot stand Balloon Kid, and it made me so happy to eat that Balloon Kid as Venom, which is a very strange sentence, I'm sure. Uh, But this also featured teases for the greater Ultimate Universe. At one point, uh, Venom fights Wolverine in a bar, which I absolutely loved. And this game really was, for me, the intro into the Ultimate Universe. I know by 2005, the Ultimate Universe had been around for about, you know, three or four years at that point. But for me, this was my first introduction to the Ultimate Universe because certain things weren't matching up with the uh, Marvel that I knew that I was familiar with and I thought that was weird. And I remember, you know, just after starting to play this game, I went to a flea market and I ended up uh, snatching up a copy of the 2000, I think it was December 2001 Wizard Magazine where it showcased the Ultimates. Um, and I just, I thought that I fell in love with the Ultimate Universe at that point. And this game really had a big hand on, or had a really big hand in introducing me to that world and to that universe. And I remember having such a fun time. The, I believe I played this on GameCube. I remember playing this on GameCube, um, And this was a game that also, you know, you race the Human Torch at one point around the Baxter building. You know, they talk about different greater Marvel Universe stuff. And this was the first game that really felt interconnected like that for me. And I just love this game. There are so many uh, Easter eggs in this. There's so many um, alternate costumes that you can pick up that are so fun and really dive kind of hella deep into uh, Spider-Man's history and lore. And it's a game that really reshaped for me what I thought was possible with Spider-Man games. And so it's one that I really do love and one that I uh, always look back fondly on when it comes to my experience playing Marvel video games. So that is why it is at number six. Heading into the number, into the top five here. The top five is normally where Uh, people really kind of put their stamp on what video games they love and really put their stamp on what video games in their eyes are good. So everybody's top five, I think, is going to be different. I don't think you'll ever find two top fives that are the exact same. But I want to preface this before we get into the top five that, once again, this is my opinion. Um, 
that my opinions are subjective. And if you differ, please let me know. I would love to have that conversation with you. And I'm giving all of this preamble because my number five is Captain America Super Soldier from 2011, uh, developed by Next Level Games and distributed by Sega. This game was uh, developed for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Wii, and 3DS. And I don't care what anyone says. I love this game with a passion. Um, Mostly because this is really the only modern Captain America game that I have had. You know, there have been games that feature other characters uh, like the Ultimate Alliance series. Uh, Marvel's Avengers is going to be featuring some Captain America if he isn't dead the whole time, which I don't think he is because it's comics, but, you know, they do start off with Captain America dying, and I loved that Captain America gameplay in the brief minute that you get to play as him in the beta because it reminded me of this game. This game is a direct movie tie-in to the uh, Captain America, the first Avenger film. This was a game that I... um, I distinctly remember renting at Blockbuster and then just never returning. I, <laughs> I know I am a I am a heathen, I am a godless man, but um, I loved this game too much to give it back. I absolutely loved this game. It was my first game that I was just totally in love with from the outset. It is not a great game. I will. I will admit that. It is not some five-star technical brilliance. But for what it's doing, it does it very well. Um, It is one of many slews of Arkham clones when it comes to the combat. Um, There's also uh, traversal, but basically this game is set during the montage of Captain America the First Avenger. That big montage where Cap goes from uh, busting in the doors with his new Captain America costume to Red Skull shouting at Artem Zola about, you are failing! And uh, the fateful train mission this game is set right in the middle of those years where cap is just fighting on the front lines and all you have to do to get me sold on a video game is say it's captain america in world war ii and i will be there uh this game pits captain america basically in a wolfenstein slash castlevania style game against the likes of Artem Zola, we've got Baron Zemo way before Baron Zemo was a thing in the MCU, so technically it's not canon anymore, but I like to think it's still canon. We'll see. But um, this game also featured uh, some pre-order bonuses that I was really into where uh, you could either get the classic Captain America suit that was kind of upgraded to be uh, military standard, or you could get the uh, World War II 40s Captain America um ultimate version of the uh, World War II Captain America, which is one of my favorite Captain America costumes. And basically, you are traversing your way through this castle to fight Hydra um, to save the world and to you know, continue to put a stop to Hydra and Red Skull's machinations during World War II. And that's all you need for me. Um, The combat was fluid because, again, this was an Arkham clone, uh, but they did involve the shield, which I love. You you know, you get to ricochet the shield off, you get to aim it, throw it. Um, Again, a lot of the same... um, 
it's not it's definitely not a one-to-one comparison but a lot of the uh gameplay from captain america that i uh played through and also witnessed in the beta is very similar to how this game played and i will never forgive either xbox or playstation 3 for not making this backwards compatible because i would sink all of my hours into this game i played through this game over the course of me having it uh at least four or five times because i loved it that much um of course it gets repetitive of course it's showing its age of course it was made to be a movie tie-in and movie tie-in games are rarely good especially that early uh, Marvel movie tie-in game period with like Thor, Iron Man, um, Incredible Hulk, but I really enjoyed this game. I loved it for what it was, and until Avengers comes out, this will be my premier Captain America game for uh, for now. But I just I love this game. I know it's terrible. I know that people hate on it, but I love this game for with a deep set passion. And that is why it is sitting at my number five spot. At number four, we have Spider-Man 2000. Uh, this was developed by Neversoft and was developed for the PlayStation one, Nintendo 64 dream, Sega dreamcast and PC. And this game actually celebrates its 20 year anniversary. This past Sunday, as of this recording, um, there's a big uh, YouTube push right now uh, kind of celebrating that. If you go on YouTube and check it out, there's a big celebration with uh, some of my favorite YouTubers, Diego Rivera, uh, Panels to Pixels, among others, and Godzilla Mendoza as well, um, all doing kind of a tribute to this game. And it's for good reason. This game was my first Spider-Man game. I remember playing this on the PC and absolutely falling in love with it. This was my first big Spider-Man man game that i can remember playing and this was the game that introduced me to a lot of spider-man concepts i mean i had been a fan of the 90s uh, spider-man cartoon of course but getting to swing across new york as spider-man fighting against venom uh going into the sewers meeting the lizard fighting against doc ock like all of that Working with Black Hat, all of those amazing Spidey tropes that we are used to now um, were shiny and new for me when I first played this. Uh, it also has an incredible uh, intro by Stan Lee. I just, oh, I love this game so much. It brings a smile to my face anytime someone brings it up. Uh, this game featured a ton of different costumes. Uh, Traversal was buttery smooth at the time. And it was such a fun game. And I remember any time that I could get away from um, anybody and just hop on the computer and play this game, I was in heaven. Uh, later finding out that it was also on PlayStation made me incredibly sad because um, I had the PlayStation for a short time and the only games that I really remember playing on it were uh, Tekken and Iron Man Exo Manowar. There's a throwback that is not on this list. But I, um, a lot of people look at this game as kind of the standard for Spidey, for Spidey games. You know, this was the, the bar. And any Spidey game has that comes out has to be at least as good as this. And for good reason. It was a purely comic book Spidey game that 
dealt with Mary Jane and Spidey and Venom and his rogues gallery in New York. And it is really just a love letter to Spider-Man. And it absolutely deserves all of the love and accolades that are heaped upon it. So that is why it is firmly in the top five and at my number four spot. At number three, we have X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009. This was developed by Raven Software for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, PlayStation 2, PC, PSP, Nintendo Wii, and the Nintendo DS. Uh, This is your this is the definitive wolverine experience um it is so much better than the movie if you hear the title of this x-men origins wolverine and you think to yourself oh it's going to be just like the movie and so i'm not going to play this you are doing yourself a massive disservice because this game goes so far and above the uh x-men origins movie that it is a crime that this wasn't the actual um events of the movie for me this is the canon of what happened in that universe in that timeline because this deals with not just the advent of uh days of future past being brought into the x-men universe long before brian singer brought it to the silver screen in x-men days and future past but this also features so many deep cuts in the Uh, x-men universe and improves upon literally everything that the movie does uh this features throwbacks with um different alternate costumes i am a huge alternate costume guy if i haven't made that clear already alternate costumes are my jam they if you have a game that is chock full of alternate costumes that is a great way to get me invested in your game and this game had his classic his astonishing uh, costume. It had the brown and tan, my personal favorite. Uh, it also had the X-Force, which I was really cool. And what was great about how they designed this is that you had to find, I believe it was like five comics that were um, littered throughout the game that featured that costume. And once... Our neighbor's dog was a big fan of this game, as you can tell. <laughs> um... Basically, once you find the five comics, it unlocks this danger room sequence. And so you go in as Wolverine, and you fight that costumed version of Wolverine. So you go in there, and you're Hugh Jackman Wolverine, and you fight against the X-Force Wolverine. And if you beat them, you get that costume, which I think is a great way to not just um, give you those options for alternate costumes, but also to give you incentive to get those and to make it feel like you earn the costumes besides it just being kind of like a a collectathon type deal i really enjoyed it i thought it was a great great system and the costumes that they chose were fantastic but this game is the bloodiest wolverine game that we have gotten and you just it you really and i know this is just a cliche thing to say but it makes you feel like wolverine you know there are moments where you would you would see an enemy from kind of like across the map and you can do that Hugh Jackman like jump across the map to stab them um 
It's bloody, it's gory, but it also went into places that the movie wouldn't even touch. Um, Sentinels are introduced into this. Again, before Days of Future Past, you fight a Sentinel. And not, you know, those rinky-dink Sentinels from the past in Days of Future Past or the, you know, Mystique-style ones. You fight a comic book Sentinel that is at least three stories tall as Little Wolverine. It flies you up into the sky, you have to, like, hack away at it, and then it falls out of the sky and you have to kill it it's incredible it is a fun game it is so great you get um you actually get uh mystique in the game as well that you interact with and it teases her and um will i am's character as the father of uh nightcrawler so there was that before uh clearly before uh, X-Men First Class as well. This is just one of my favorite X-Men games of all time and probably one of my favorite uh, Wolverine games. It is my favorite Wolverine game because if you ever wanted a game that made you legitimately feel like you are Wolverine in a world that um, keeps giving us, you know, half-assed versions of that character when it comes to gaming, this is the game for you. So that is why it is at my number three spot. At number two, you had to know this game was going to be somewhere on the list. Um, it's a game that people love. It's a game that people uh, hate on. But it is a game that I absolutely love from start to finish. And it's a game that I played through multiple times. And I cannot wait for its spiritual sequel coming out later on this year. And that is Spider-Man from 2018. This was developed by Insomniac for the PlayStation 4. It is a PlayStation 4 exclusive. And this is a video game that is a near-perfect Spider-Man game. It is a near-perfect Spider-Man experience. In the way that Wolverine not only did deep dives on the character, but also paid tribute and homage to the larger X-Men universe. Spider-Man does that in this game as well. I've talked about this in full in an episode for uh, Spidey Month, I believe last year. It might have been the year before. I think it was I think it was volume two. Um, where I talked about how Spider-Man PS4 is the best Spider-Man period. You know, this version of Peter Parker is my personal headcanon version of how Peter Parker would be. And not just because, you know, oh, the graphics are gorgeous, which they are. Oh, not just because the gameplay is buttery smooth, which it is. Uh, but the fact that they took Peter Parker and took him out of high school. I know that it's a popular thing to put Peter Parker in high school, but I am so sick of Peter Parker high school stuff. I want college-age Peter Parker. I want post-college Peter Parker. And this game gives us that. This gives us down-on-his-luck Spider-Man, where, Spidey-Man, where he is, you know, in the opening scene, he has to decide on whether he's going to go battle Wilson Fisk or pay his rent. And it's one of those, like, classic Spidey uh, dilemmas that makes him such an endearing character. And I talked about this before in that episode. If you want my full, complete thoughts on the game itself, go ahead and check that out in the archives. But this game really uh, meant a lot to me because this game uh, came out at a time that I was still trying to adjust. Uh, I moved out to Los Angeles in 2016 from uh, Arizona where I felt very safe and complacent. And uh, Los Angeles has been none of that, especially this year. But 
this um, this game was made with the intent of showing a uh, Peter Parker who is out of college, who is trying to figure out who he is as a person, and that struck a chord for me because I really. Um, I moved to a big city, you know, Peter goes from Queens to New to Manhattan, and it was a game that was a love letter to Spider-Man. Uh, it's got tons of alternate costumes, which I just talked about, give me alternate costumes all day, and it is a game that also knows how to give homage and properly give due to Spidey's history. Um, there's no recounting of his origins. Uh, he's already been Spider-Man for, I think, like five or six years at this point. Um, though there's a really touching, uh, hidden interaction that you can make with Uncle Ben's grave. Um, this game also features the Sinister Six. This features the origin of Doc Ock in an origin that I absolutely love. And William Salyers is... Doc Ock, just as much as Yuri Lowenthal is Peter Parker for me. Um, this game gave us a new version of Mary Jane, which admittedly is very derivative of characters like uh, Lois Lane and Iris West, but I do love this version of Mary Jane. Uh, I do love the two characters together. I love the Spidey and Mary Jane um, interactions. This was also the final... Um, I guess not final... Um, this was one of the final uh, Stanley cameos where it brought me to tears uh, playing this game. Um, I really, I just, I love everything about this game. It's got its flaws, absolutely. The story is, you know, f a lot of people will say it's by the numbers. I still really love it. The scene where um, Spidey and Doc Ock have that climactic confrontation on the Oscorp Tower is still one of my favorite Spidey moments ever. Um, but I just, I love this game from the top down. I love everything about it. It is exactly to me what every spider game should aspire to be. I talked about with the, uh, with Spidey 2000, how it was the bar for the longest time. If your game is going to feature Spider-Man, it has to be at least as good as this. And now that bar has been raised thanks to Spider-Man PS4. And I know it's blasé and people, you know, pick this thing apart all over the place. But the web swinging is so, so fun. Um, it's a game that I could just like set on and just web swing through New York for 30 minutes and just be like, I, I am at peace with this. <laughs> it's a huge map featuring a bunch of deep cut characters. We see the, um, we see the origins of certain characters. We see certain characters show up who will have implications further on down the line. It features remixes on specific characters. And it's a game that I hold near and dear to my heart. And it's a game that I think anyone who is a Spider-Man fan and a Marvel Games fan needs to play. Not just should play, needs to play. And that is why it is at the number two spot for me. It's not my top game. It is not number one and number one you know may surprise some people number one may not be a surprise to some people but for me I had to think about what Marvel game is everything that I could want in a Marvel game it's a good ambassador for Marvel comics and is a fun game to play and for me 
the game that came out on top after going through this list and switching things around three or four times uh, was Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the first one from 2006. This was developed by Raven Software for the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, Xbox, Xbox 360, or PSP and PC. And this game, I will admit, has a nostalgia factor for me. Um, this game came out at a time that we did not have a whole lot of things to be excited about outside of Marvel Comics. Um, this was a game that I fell in love with instantly. From the very first moment I picked it up, watching the first cutscene, this was a game that I sank so many hours into. I probably played this game at least a dozen times because I love everything about it. There is a huge cast of characters across the spectrum for Marvel Comics and even featured DLC characters on top of that. Um, this game is a is a love letter to Marvel Comics. There are locales here that you would not find in any other Marvel game. There are characters here that still haven't made appearances in other Marvel games. This was the game for me that I really got um, into Marvel video games as a fan. Uh, this was the first Marvel game that I ever played with friends, and that's why... You know, that's a big part of me loving this game because it was something that I could now share with people. Prior to this, I could only really play games with uh, with myself. Um, Marvel games were usually single player. Um, if they weren't single player, they were fighting games. And I, you know, I have a... I'm a fan of fighting games, but they're not like my primary... Uh, favorite form of video games and to be able to play through a full-on like rpg style marvel game with friends made this something that i couldn't pass up on and a game that i just love even to this day is it dated now yes especially since two other uh games in the series have already come out that look much prettier than this game ever does but with this being a full-on you know Marvel RPG dungeon crawler that features appearances from Atlantis, features appearances, you know, locales like Asgard, and heading into the temples of the Mandarin. Like, this was everything that you could want. You go to hell at one point. Um, everything that you could want out of a Marvel game. Um, just neatly packed into a package that you can play through as many times as you want. There are a bevy of alternate costumes for this game, all touching back on different Marvel periods, Marvel Comics periods, uh, touching back on animated uh, animated cartoons as well. Um, but this was a game prior to Marvel being this juggernaut that it is today. Um, a lot of Marvel games nowadays have to have some kind of tie to the MCU. And what's great about Marvel Ultimate Alliance is that it is a game that is solely based. It is uh, a game that you make or break on its 
on its uh, influences, that being the comics. Uh, if you are not up on your comics knowledge, this game will give you that crash course for it. And I think this is the ultimate entry point for a Marvel fan. I learned so much about the Marvel Universe from this game, and it is a great gateway for people to get interested in stuff about the Marvel Universe that they might not be interested in prior to this. It's a game that I just... Ah, I love it so much. Um, it's hard to put into words how this game... How much this game means to me, because like I said, this was a game that made me for once feel like being a comic book fan wasn't a solo activity. Um, I remember playing this game with some friends back in, uh, in high school where we would get together, all four of us picking our favorite Marvel character, and we would just go through these dungeons and play. And I just, this started off that whole feeling of wanting to share an experience with friends. Um, this would lead on into Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, where I played with uh, John and Kanan and Andrew, and I just had a fantastic time with that this led on to playing multiple marvel games with friends and it's a game that started off that trend for me getting to share comic books with people has always been a favorite pastime of mine whenever someone comes to me and is like hey you know I really like this character. What comic should I read? I just go into Overdrive because I love sharing stuff that I love with other people. It's a big reason that I started this podcast is to be able to not just, you know, shout into the void about things that I care about, but also to talk about things that people might not know a whole lot about and introduce them to concepts and characters and things that uh, deserve as much love as they get. And I really think that all kind of stems from that experience with this game. And it's an experience that I'm looking forward to sharing with friends with uh, Marvel's Avengers that comes out this week. You know, I've already talked to a couple friends who aren't video game or aren't uh comics guys who are just um fans of the mcu to a certain degree but really it's not their world and they have talked about hey let's all get marvel's avengers and we'll run around and we'll be these characters and we'll have a fun time and that kind of spirit whether or not you love the beta whether or not you have problems with the game um that spirit is inherent when it comes to marvel comics that isn't that spirit is inherent when it comes to video games. And from Marvel Ultimate Alliance all the way to Marvel's Avengers from 2006, even further back to games like Marvel Super Heroes, X-Men in 1992, all the way up to Marvel's Avengers releasing this Friday, the spirit of getting to share Marvel Comics with your friends and not feeling like you're alone in your fandom is a feeling that Marvel Games has always accomplished, and I look forward to them continuing to accomplish it for years to come.
it is now time for the Wild Card Weekly Review, where between the conclusion of Season 2 of Doom Patrol and the premiere of Season 2 of The Boys, we have been tackling a different property to review every single week. And this week, we are drawing that saga to a close. Uh, I guess Season 2 of the Wild Card Weekly Reviews goes out, I think, with a pretty great show. That being Stargirl. I've been waiting to review this um, for a while. You know, timing didn't really work out to where I could put this as the main weekly review, but I'm glad that I finally got to catch up on it and I get to talk about it here because Stargirl's kind of good, guys. (laughs) Um, Stargirl, uh, the premise behind the show is basically that uh, Courtney, Courtney Whitmore is a normal teenage girl who moves from Los Angeles to Blue Valley, Nebraska, where her basically her family is uh, embroiled in this plot by a secret organization within Blue Valley to not just take over the the town, but also the world. Uh, the big thing about this show is that the Justice Society of America is front and center. So you know that I had to watch this and I had to give my two cents on it. Uh, but the big thing about Stargirl as well is uh, you can't you can't take Stargirl and not uh, talk about Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, say what you will about him, is a seminal comics creator he has done some of the greatest comics runs for different characters his work on green lantern his work on the flash um his whole um birth of uh rebirth the concept of rebirth flash rebirth um Green Lantern Rebirth, DC Rebirth, he's all over the place. But Stargirl was created by Jeff Johns in honor of his sister, Courtney, who tragically died. And this character, Courtney Whitmore, was his way to honor her while also uh, bringing forth a legacy character for Starman. And this show, I think, does the character of Stargirl as much justice as you could possibly do. Um, I really enjoyed this. The first season is currently on the DC Universe app as well as the CW app. And season two, as we've talked about in previous episodes, has already been greenlit and will be moving strictly over to the CW as the entropy of DC Universe takes hold. Um, but this character features not just Stargirl and her uh, her sidekick Stripe, uh, a giant mech piloted by her... Uh, her stepfather, Pat Dugan, uh, but also features a revitalized JSA. They took some of the, uh, some inspirations, of course, from the Jeff Johns JSA run, where they brought in, uh, Legacy characters for classic JSA members. Um, And our main three new JSA members are Yolanda Montez as Wildcat, uh, Rick Tyler as Our Man, and Beth Chappell as Dr. Midnight. Uh, These four, I guess technically five if you count Stripe, uh, new members of the Justice Society go up against the Injustice Society, which is another big throwback that I absolutely loved. Um, and features uh, our plucky teenage heroes going up against the likes of Brainwave, 
Icicle, the Dragon King, Sportsmaster and Tigress, and the Wizard and the Gambler. Uh, I just love how deep cut all of these characters are, how silly and ridiculous their names are, which is, of course, emblematic of how ridiculous they were back when they were created in the early 40s. But this show overall is not just a, and I know I've used this uh this term multiple times in this episode, but it bears repeating. This show is not just a love letter to Stargirl, but is also a love letter to the JSA as well as DC Comics as a whole. Um, first off, I'm going to talk about what I liked. I liked Courtney and Pat. They are kind of our two leads for the show, essentially. Uh, Pat Dugan was formerly Stripesy, the sidekick to Starman, and was the, as far as the pilot goes, the only surviving member of the Justice Society um, after the Injustice Society attacked them 10 years prior. Uh, he is now the stepfather to Courtney Whitmore, who gets the uh, staff, and I really liked them. I really liked them together. Uh, Pat is played by Luke Wilson, the other Wilson brother, uh, and he does a great job. I think he toes the line of He's he just has that everyman quality, uh, which is not you know I guess you could say is something that the Wilsons embody. But Owen Wilson is such a such a I don't want to say parody, but he's such a character to himself that it's hard to really see him as anybody other than uh, Owen Wilson. And Luke Wilson does have that. Um, that aspect to him, but I really liked his character work here. There's some really great scenes. The episode where uh, he is confronted by Courtney Whitmore's real dad is really, really well done, and I really liked him in the role. Courtney, played by, uh, I think her name is uh, Bragg. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up. I should have. I should have had this. I should have already had this. Um, but her name is uh, Breck Bassinger, I believe is her name. Um, and she does such a great job getting you uh, invested in the character. Um, this is very CW, so you have to kind of push it through that filter. But once you do, and once you kind of get the tone for the show, it is actually a pretty good time. And Breck does a great job in the role of Courtney. She uh, does a great job playing with the more comic booky aspects while also really diving into what makes the character work on a fundamental emotional level. Uh, I also loved the JSA in this. They don't pull their punches. The Flash, Jay Garrick, is in this. Green Lantern, Alan Scott, is in this. Uh, they established during the conclusion of Crisis on Infinite Earths that all of this takes place on Earth 2, which is traditionally where all the Justice Society stuff happens. So, mwah, chef's kiss for that. Um, but they do show, you know, Our Man, Wildcat, the Spectre, uh, Johnny Thunder. I just, I love the deep cuts in all of this. Uh, they even show the Green Lantern, like the actual green, the actual lantern. And with teases that, you know, we might get a new Green Lantern in the next season. We don't know. Um, 
but the reverence that the JSA get. You know, we get the hall, we get the round table with the banners that are so clearly inspired by Alex Ross' art of the JSA. Uh, The Hawks are even part of this. And I just, I really love the fact that they took this as kind of a, a legacy show, and they established that the world feels lived in, even though, you know, all CW shows, for better or for worse, feel somewhat bright and shiny and new, like all of this is kind of happening for the first time, the show does have a lived-in feeling, while um, also bringing new aspects to that, that um, to those characters. You know, they showed off our man and Dr. Midnight and Starman and showed off the fact that they were part of a team and there is a legacy for the JSA and bringing in these new characters to live up to that legacy. I really, really liked, I really enjoyed, uh, the new wildcat. I liked that even though, um, I think, uh, high school superhero stories are kind of, um, are a little oversaturated at this point. I liked how they handled them here for the most part. Um, I will say that I really, out of them, all out of all of them, uh, my favorite, even though I'm a huge Wildcat Mark, my favorite was Our Man Rick Tyler. Um, and I know I'm just a I'm just a big dumb boy who likes angry boys punching things, but I really liked his character development. I liked that he was this angry kid who had to learn to temper his rage. Uh, the final episode where he finally gets to confront Solomon Grundy and finds out that Solomon Grundy is more or less just kind of this you know this misguided animal uh, was a really well done scene and I really liked that uh, like I said before they also had lots of teases for the greater DC universe I already mentioned uh, Green Lantern Flash uh, but they also teased the seven soldiers of victory we saw Green Arrow and Speedy we saw Shining Knight Vigilante all of these characters who would never make an appearance in your mainline CW or in any of the films. And that's something that I really appreciate about this show is that they can take these more or less smaller, small-time characters who probably won't get the kind of stage that a Batman or a Superman will and really give them the kind of reverence that they deserve. Uh, I also love the Injustice Society. The fact that we got these characters who are kind of in the twilight of their uh, of their lives, who are a little past their prime for the most part and are just trying to figure out where they fit in the world. Um, standouts for me, uh, Sportsmaster and Tigress. I did not think I was going to like Sportsmaster based off of the uh, costume. The costume looked a little um, haphazard, we'll say, when they released that first look of it. But I will say that it looks a lot better in motion. And the two of them were just so fun. I really liked that they were the classic um, uh, overachieving and overbearing parents. The uh, That Sportsmaster was the uh, local gym guy who was always just trying to get you to come on into the gym and stuff like that. And their daughter was Artemis, so we got a great Artemis tease as well. Um, but I really liked them together. I thought they were my favorite members of the Injustice Society. All of their fight choreography was great. The use of the sports gimmick for Sportsmaster was awesome. I loved how um, Tigress just offs uh, the Fiddler just because she was insulting her daughter. I loved that. I really, really dug that. 
how ruthless they were. Um, I also really liked Icicle. I thought he was really cool. The uh, reveal of Icicle Jr. was really good. We're definitely going to get more stuff from that. Brainwave is kind of like your main guy I thought was really good, and I liked him a lot. So overall, the Justice Society is really well done. But it wasn't just adults that they faced off against. I also really liked Shiv. Um, Shiv, who's daughter of the Dragon King, was really well done here as well. I loved the almost Damian Wayne-esque uh, um, quality to her, where she already knew about the Injustice Society. She knew about all this stuff. She was essentially sent to um, monitor Brainwave Jr., who I also really dug. Um, she was really well done. And the uh, scene where she goes to visit Courtney after basically kicking her ass... Um, and the two of them are in their civilian guises. Courtney doesn't know if Shiv knows that she's Stargirl, but at the end, you know, she basically has this, like, nice little visit with her and goes, oh, by the way, um, when you're done, just know that I'm gonna kill all of your friends and I'm coming back to kill you, Stargirl. And it was just a great, like, villain moment that I was, I was taken aback by, uh, but I really, really dug it. I also loved Solomon Grundy. Grundy was fantastic here. I love any time that he shows up. And he was done, I think, to a really great degree with this. Um, I like that he was kind of this force of nature that they kept chained up unless they needed to use him. And the fact that he got that little arc with Rick Tyler I thought was really well done as well. Um... And I love the uh, teases for more members. We'll get into that in just a second. But I also really liked that this was only 13 episodes. It's the same thing that I love about Black Lightning. The fact that each episode has purpose. There isn't a whole lot of filler. There are certain scenes, but you can only really chalk them up to scenes. Every single episode has development for the characters. And it's a really tight season you know it might not feel that way because there is uh, high school drama involved but all of that drama is utilized to push the development of those characters forward now things i didn't like i did not like mike um courtney's stepbrother i just could not stand that character they did not know what to do with him he was just this schlubby character who i just couldn't get invested in he was just a dick to everybody and i just i didn't like him i would like more of him or a complete rewriting of his character in season two i just they can do away with him i just i don't i don't want anything to do with him i didn't like him very much um the writing is also very hit or miss it's very cw um and you know the kind of quality of writing that you get with those kind of shows black lightning notwithstanding not included in that of course but i really um i think that with with season two already being greenlit, hopefully the writing will get a little more tight because it did uh, it was involved in the inconsistent characterizations. Um, some of the characterizations from episode to episode would just vary so wildly, and I just you know one episode Courtney is complaining that they aren't listening to her and she's trying to be a leader, and the next episode she's just trying to do everything on her own, and I'm just like I don't what's what's happening here? Like there are certain characters that I just, I think they need to take a closer look at making sure there's a through line for with season two. Um, there's also in, in this season, in this first season, there were just too many characters. Um, I loved the injustice society. I love the JSA. I think that bringing in the JSA and bringing in this new version of the JSA was really smart because it takes some of the heavy lifting off of Courtney so that you can get invested in other characters. But I don't think 
every character got enough time. Some characters got really shortchanged. Uh, Beth, I think, is an interesting character, but they didn't know how to properly manage her when it came to her time in the season. So she comes off just being kind of annoying and not really getting into the nuance of her, which I was, um, I was disappointed by. I was also really disappointed by the dragon King. We got so much, you know, preface with driving or we got so much pretense with dragon King that he's just the shadowy figure. And he's like this person who's been around since the forties. And he's this like imposing character. And then he just kind of gets offed. Um, I just, I didn't, I don't know. We didn't get enough time with him. I didn't like it. And I think they, if they had kind of pared down some of the villains and some of the heroes, even, um, they really could have made a tighter narrative for these characters to, uh, get full and complete arcs with the season. Um, that being said, I almost I also would have liked more with uh, the JSA and the Seven Soldiers. They teased them. Uh, the intro to the first episode to the pilot is so good. It shows the JSA getting attacked by the Injustice Society, and I thought it really worked. Um, and all of that we really see from the Seven Soldiers of Victory is a photo of them, and then um, the janitor, Justin, ends up being the Shining Knight, but I'm hoping that we do get more of them as the seasons go on, or at least as the next season goes on, but again, I really, I want them to have a definitive direction, is what I really want. Um, that being said, I still think that the season was really strong. Some of my favorite episodes were, uh, episode six entitled the justice society. Each episode had like a, a character's name or a concept's name. Uh, the justice society is the first episode where our new JSA is all together in costume. And this is also them going up against Sportsmaster and Tigress, which I really dug. Uh, this is also their first big loss, which of course is what you got to do halfway through the season and with their first get together. So I really dug that. Um, episode 10 brave wave brainwave junior is also really, really well done and has, a cliffhanger at the end of the episode that I was not expecting so I really liked that and then finally the two-part finale stars and stripe episode 12 and 13 uh, parts one and two I really think it's a fantastic finale utilizing everybody um, even though it the series as I mentioned already does suffer a little bit from being a little over packed I think the show does wrap up everything really well done and it also opens the door for a packed season two uh we're getting shade the uh last member standing from the j from the injustice society that we see in that big photo or that big portrait of them uh we're also getting eclipso shiv has broken into a warehouse and has pulled out the gem of Cl of Eclipso, which I think is really cool. Uh, we might get more Seven Soldiers. Shining Knight went off at the end of the season to go find them. So we might see more Green Arrow, Speedy, you know, uh, Crimson Avenger, Vigilante. We might see more of that. And apparently the big cliffhanger at the end of the episode, spoilers for the entire season, I guess I should have said this at the beginning, is that Starman's alive. We, we were under the impression that he was dead the whole time. But uh, Starman is apparently alive and kicking, so we're gonna see what happens there. Overall, really enjoyed the episode, or really enjoyed the season. I thought it was a strong outing for Star Girl. There's a reason that Jeff Johns kind of poured all of his time into this. When Jeff Johns cares about something, you get quality. That's just period, full stop. 
Um, I will say that some of the uh, more uh, teen-esque aspects didn't really ring true for me. And I granted, I am not the target audience for this. But as a fan of the JSA, as a fan of Stargirl, and as a fan of uh, DC Comics, I think this is a really strong first outing. And I can't wait to see season two. So I would probably give this, if I had to give this my arbitrary Geek Explained rating, probably like a 6.5 to a 7 out of 10. Really strong start. There are definite places for them to improve, but I can't wait for season two. So that does it for this week's Wildcard Weekly Review. This does it for this session of the Wildcard Weekly Reviews, because next week, the boys are back uh we are getting three episodes of the boys for season two dropping this friday so i'll be reviewing all three episodes next week and uh yeah so i can't wait boys has been awesome i've been re-watching the first season to get myself prepped again uh, and i can't wait to see what kind of shenanigans billy butcher and the rest of his cohorts get into so stay tuned next week for that but for now we're gonna roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones that I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, we've got to take a look back at last week's comics with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, there was no contest. The clear pick for me was Batman 3 Jokers, written by Jeff Johns, art by Jason Fabok. Uh, this was a great book and a great start to the story. We've been waiting on this book for a while. We've really been waiting on this story since 2015 with Dark Side War. Um, but this really is a a highly anticipated book, and I think it knocked it out of the park. Um, Jason Fabok's art, this is some of the best Jason Fabok art I've ever seen. He is doing some iconic work here, some of the designs. The Red Hood design, I think, is a design that everyone should basically adopt for a good long while because it's so perfect it's so ah it's so good um and the writing has been fantastic as well jeff johns as we talked about in the uh, weekly review anytime he really puts his heart into it you get quality and i think this is emblematic of that um i think that it's a book that i am dreading having to wait for we have to wait until the end of this month for part two and even longer for part three but i think this was a this was a great opening chapter and i can't wait to see where they go with this story but that's last week let's talk about this week's books this week we have six books for you to pick up and we are going to kick things off with black widow number one written by kelly thompson with art by elena casagrande uh this is the latest black widow book this was i'm assuming supposed to um kind of piggyback off of the uh release of the black widow film which we don't really know when black widow's coming out now so um i think that it's you know the timing's off whatever but this creative team is stacked kelly thompson's an awesome writer and i love elena casagrande's art so i'm really looking forward to this let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here Natasha Romanoff has been a spy almost as long as she's been alive, and she's never stopped running, whether she was working for the good guys or the bad. But Natasha's world is about to be upended, 
Beyond San Francisco's Golden Gate lies a mystery that only the Marvel Universe's greatest spy can solve. So I really like that. I think it's, you know, anytime you bring the Marvel Universe to the West Coast, I'm always there for uh, some of my favorite comics in the past, you know, few years. Superior Spider-Man, West Coast Avengers have been stories about Marvel going West. So I really like that. I think it's a great premise with a great creative team, and I can't wait to pick this up. So next up, we have Batman 98 Joker War Part 4. Um... It's, it's, been, it's been real good so far. It's been real good. <laughs> uh, written by James Stein IV with art by Georgia Menez. Um, I've been really enjoying this. I've been really enjoying Joker War. Um, last issue was a great one. And we are finally going to start to get more info on some of the newer additions to the Gotham uh battleground i guess since we are in the midst of a war um and i'm looking forward to picking this up so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here batman is at his most vulnerable following a massive dose of an experimental new joker toxin with the dark knight haunted by demons and visions it's up to harley quinn to protect him while he recovers because punchline is on her way so it sounds like we're going to get Harley Quinn versus Punchline round two. Um, I really, I adore Punchline. I have only gotten a few issues with her and I love her so much. I am so excited to see what they do here. And I'm excited for Batman to have this really uh, doped up conversation with Alfred, which is going to be hard. So <laughs> definitely look forward to that. Next up, we have Hawkeye Freefall, number six of six, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. I am so glad they went back and released hard copies of this so I can finally complete my hard copy collection. Uh, we talked about in a previous episode with uh, Malcolm how I am a hard copy guy. I am slowly easing my way into digital comics, but I am a hard copy guy at heart, and I'm glad that I kind of get to complete this collection. So, uh, Hawkeye Freefall, what else can I say? This book's been fantastic, and it is a great. You are, if you haven't read it yet, you are in store for a great conclusion for this story. So, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Bullseye wants to hurt Clint in any way he can, so he's playing dress-up and taking the Archer's not-so-good name on a deadly tour of New York. Meanwhile, the Hood has had enough of Clint's games and decides to put an end to them once and for all. He puts a price on Clint's head so high that every villain, merc, and thug in the city is going to line up to take a shot. With everything falling apart, Clint will be forced to make some choices he can't take back. Will he find a way to get through this with clean hands, or will he be forced to return to his criminal ways? So, not just a fantastic finale, but also for where it puts Clint on a trajectory following the events of this series, you need to pick this up if you're a Hawkeye fan. Next up, we have Strange Adventures, number 5 of 12, written by Tom King, with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. This has been great as well. I loved last issue. I thought it was so fantastic. Mr. Terrific is very quickly becoming one of my favorite characters, especially the way that he is being portrayed in this series, and I cannot wait to pick this up, so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Mr. Terrific is back on Earth, and he's making things hot for Adam Strange. But he also might get a little burned himself. The conflict is out in the open now, and the court of public opinion doesn't play fair. Mr. Terrific was picked to investigate the accusations against Adam Strange because he was the most impartial member of the Justice League. But can even he keep all of this from getting personal? Plus, as we witness more of Adam's adventures in outer space, will his version of events jibe with the facts, or will they continue to to drift further apart. Find out in the series everyone is talking about by one of the most acclaimed creative teams in comics. So again, it's just been so good. I think it's absolutely up there with some of the best Tom King maxi series he's ever done, and I cannot wait to pick up the next chapter of the story. Next up, we have a big book that I'm really freaking excited about. It's Firepower, issue number three, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. I loved these books. I love the first two issues. I love the prelude comic and I can't wait to pick this up. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Things just keep getting worse for Owen as it becomes clear that he cannot protect his family from his past. Whether he lacks it or not, he's going to have to face who he is, what he's done, and who he's meant to be before it's too late. So I really dug the first two issues. I think this is a great jumping on point, and it is still early enough that you can jump on to this, get all of the prior issues, the two first issues as well as the uh, prelude trade, and get yourself ready for this. This is going to be a good book for a real long time. I can't wait to pick up this next chapter. But the big book of the week for me, the big book that I think that you should absolutely not miss out on alongside Firepower Issue 3, is Deceased Dead Planet number three of six uh written by tom taylor art by trevor harrison this is so freaking good i love this book the first two issues have been fantastic uh we are going to be getting some blockbuster stuff as uh, tom taylor is teasing for this issue and i can't wait so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here a mysterious second garden has been located on the other side of the planet, and John Constantine and Swamp Thing lead a mission to investigate. But what they discover will fundamentally change everything. The road to Earth War begins. I have no idea what Earth War is, but I am excited. <laughs> If there's one thing that we know at this point in time, Tom Taylor knows what he's doing in the DC universe. In comics in general, but especially in the DC universe. So I can't wait to pick this up. This is going to be fantastic. So to recap, we have Black Widow number one, Batman number 98, Joker World Part 4, Hawkeye Freefall number 6 of 6, Strange Adventures number 5 of 12, Firepower number three, and Deceased Dead Planet, number three of six. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explain podcast, please give us a subscribe. Subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. And I would also appreciate it if you gave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, slash whatever they want to call it. Um, it definitely helps us out, just kind of raises our stock when it comes to podcasts, and also gets us into the ears and orbit of listeners just like 
you. And of course, if you do give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, I will read out your review here on the air. You can join the likes of Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper in having your review read right here on the podcast. So once again, thank you to them for sending me those awesome reviews. And Feel free also to give us a couple emails. Send us some emails over if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag. Uh, specifically, I would love to hear your lists for your top, uh, whether it's top 10, top 5, just favorite Marvel video games, and I will read them here on the podcast next week as well. Um, I think that when it comes to Marvel games, there are so many at this point. Um, there were some that I you know, had to leave off the list, the Lego Marvel games, uh, Spider-Man 2, like I mentioned, uh, games that people are diehard fans of. So I would love to hear about everyone's list. So feel free to send those to geeksplained at gmail.com to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag. Also, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, where you can keep up with the latest when it comes to this podcast. Podcast. Uh, I also throw up polls there every so often on different topics, um, things that you all want to see. I'm going to be throwing up a poll this week, in fact, talking about uh, my next edition of Pitch It. Uh, we haven't had a Pitch It episode since episode 100, my big Pitch It uh, magnum opus. So, um, Make sure you go onto our Twitter so that you can vote in the poll and have a hand in what our next edition of Pitch It is going to be. Um, besides that, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Um, I think that we've this has been a tough week emotionally for a lot of people, uh, myself included. And so I'm hoping that everyone is doing okay. I'm doing all right personally. Um, we are continuing to work in this pandemic. Um, and, you know, we're surviving as we can. Um, so one thing that I have been really, you know, leaning heavy into is comics. I've been rereading some uh, Batman comics. I've been in a on a Batman binge recently. So I just reread zero year as well as both volume one and volume two of Batman earth one. I uh, love those books. If you haven't read them, go read them. They're so good. Uh, I might even do an episode on those books specifically. If you would like to see that, feel free to let me know. Um, and next week we're going to be continuing to roll on. If I don't get completely obsessed and lose track of time in Marvel's Avengers, that releases this Friday, which I probably will. It's going to happen. I just know it is. Um, I'm really excited about that. So, um, but we will continue on. We are now in September. Uh, somehow 2020 is the longest decade of my entire life, but, um, I hope everyone's doing well. I will continue to, uh, keep my ear to the ground when it comes to, uh, comic book news. We are slowly marching towards the end of the year. Fingers crossed that we get through the rest of this year without, everything falling apart. Um, it's been a tough year, so I am looking forward to every day that passes to get us closer and closer to 2021. <laughs> but um, once again, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, stay tuned next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Gazana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.